I am Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie. And we're paranormal specialists who live in the most haunted city on earth, Savannah, Georgia. Every day is Halloween in our line of work, so join us as we spin true tales of haunts, murders, and disturbing Savannah history. I'm Madison. I'm Chris. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the most haunted city on earth. Hello, everyone. This is Madison and Chris from the Most Haunted City on Earth podcast. And we wanted to hop on here real quick to tell you about some stuff we got coming up. We're going to be sitting down virtually with Emma from Real Life Ghost Stories. She'll be in the UK and we're going to discuss ghost stories over the Atlantic. Also, JT and I are going to be heading up to West Virginia to bring you some Appalachian ghost stories. We're going to be visiting the Lake Shawnee Abandoned Amusement Park, and also we're going to be covering the Greenbrier Ghost, the only ghost to actually be involved in her own murder trial. So definitely check out our Patreon. We're going to have some exclusive episodes over there. Also, make sure to follow us on TikTok at the Savannah Underground and also Instagram at just Savannah Underground. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Most Haunted City on Earth. My name is Madison Timmons. I'm Chris Susie, And I want to start this out by saying thank you to our newest patrons on Patreon. I want to give a shout out to Alicia Beam, Kathleen King, and also Amy. I'm sorry you didn't leave your last name, so just Amy, but you know who you are. So Amy the ghost girl. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but we are going to go ahead and start into our latest Q&A session with question okay hold on jt oh, am you're I moving smacking it in the face sorry <laughs> just getting whacked with the microphone yeah. um but yes so let's go ahead and dive into our latest q a as always we dug through our tiktok and our instagram looking for questions that you guys left so uh we have plenty of those for you also if you do want to leave a question for the next q a session utilize that q a button on tiktok it's going to be the easiest way to make sure that your question gets answered absolutely all right let's go ahead and start it out with princess Adri00 asks, can spirits contact you or try to make themselves known through dreams? I have experienced sleep paralysis many times and I see the same spirit. Well, I have an interesting two-parter for that question. Um, so yes, spirits can contact you through dreams. That is like a psychic ability that a lot of people have. So uh, actually, that's how I found out who Jim was, our house spirit. Yeah. Uh, he came to me in a dream. So basically, I was asleep one evening, obviously, since I was dreaming. But I was in a perspective of somebody who was not me. But I basically was led throughout this person's murder where they had been abducted, they had been beaten, they had been taken to the middle of nowhere, tied to the hood of a car, and then driven around. And then they were finally murdered. And I, this was probably one of the most visceral dreams that I've ever had in my life. And JT ended up having to actually wake me up from it. And he started shaking me because he's like, Madison, you're screaming in your sleep. Are you okay? Like, what's, what's wrong? And in like a half-hazard like kind of daze, I told him, I was like, Jim's showing me things I don't want to see. 
And then I open my eyes and I see him standing in the corner of the room. And I'm like, that's the spirit I've been seeing. So he was trying to, I guess, show someone what he had gone through. Because I don't think anybody ever realized what happened to him. And I don't believe his murderers were ever found. And so this is sometimes a way that spirits like to get acknowledgement for the traumas that they went through is when they know somebody can actually interact with them, they try to tell them their story and sometimes it helps them let go. Yeah. But in the sleep paralysis sense, there's a lot of cultures that have different beliefs on why sleep paralysis happens and why you see the same spirit. So uh, the one I'm most familiar with is the Gullah Geechee, of course, with the hag. And sometimes it's a generational sort of thing. Sometimes people can send you the hag, especially in Gullah Geechee culture. I know they believe that people can send you a hag, but they always say that that's the thing that mounts their chest and sucks the energy out of them. Like send send you a hag is in like... uh, like in a, in a ritual type of way or like the mail? What are we talking? I, well, I mean, obviously I am not Gullah Geechee. Um, so I don't know if I know exactly you, how that would go on the, down. You've lived in the low country. Yeah. There's several time. accounts of, uh, it's, it's basically like putting the eye on you or okay. doing things. I, I wouldn't even say that it was as ritualistic as it was ill intent upon a person that draws the hag. Okay. It's hexing a person, you mm-hmm. know, short, the shortest way to say it is, you're cursing a person or you're hexing a person. Got it. Yeah. That, but it, it really depends on, I guess, your belief system, but also sometimes your ethnicity because there are other cultures that have different versions of hags. So obviously I don't know you, so I can't say like, oh, maybe you have Gullah in your blood. Well, if but- we do have any Gullah Geechee uh, listeners, so like someone who's really, really uh, entrenched in the culture, we we would love to have you on the podcast, seriously. So I, please, I would say- please hit us up if you are. I would say, too, um, when JT and I were first learning about the hag, we specifically went to Charleston to talk to a Gullah king, was he? Was he? Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was a Gullah king, and he took us around Charleston and were, was, like, telling us all about the culture of the Gullah people and things like that, because there's a very big group of them in Charleston, but... Every time he would bring somebody onto the bus to talk to us, he would ask them, like, what do you know about hags? And they would all be so, like, talkative, so, like, nice and friendly. And then the second they heard the word hag, they shut off and were like, I don't know anything about hags. Don't talk yeah. to me about hags. Don't say anything about hags. We have, we have footage because we were making a little bit of a documentary on it. And I was actually filming. Uh, he, he stops the bus and he brings, he brings uh, uh, so, uh, like, a priest. Um, up onto the bus and asks him, you know, again, like Madison said, he was so talkative, he was so nice, and then he goes, what do you know about hags? And he smiles, knowing what the reaction's going to be, and this guy hopped right off the bus, and I got it, like, I got that on film, because, you know, he was like, I was like consensually filming him, and all of a sudden he's just like, nope, and just dipped. Yeah. He was like... People are so afraid of getting a hag because yeah. it, it can wither someone away pretty much. When you take someone's sleep away from them, that's already going to cause problems. But if you're also being tormented by some kind of creature that's like yeah. parasitic, it, it's frightening for a lot of people. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And on the dream uh, level, 
I've interviewed thousands, if not tens of thousands of people about ghost stories, just asking them, do you have any? And the most common ghost story by far, the most common ghost story I've ever heard in my entire life goes like this. On the night my blank died, they visited me in a dream. Oh, on the wow. night my grandmother died, yeah. on the night my uncle died, on the night my best friend died, they visited me in a dream. And oftentimes they came to express their love and to say goodbye and to give them parting words or comfort. And I find that endlessly fascinating. And I never question it, whether it's a ghost story or not, because absolutely, in my belief, the strongest ties you make in life are the most likely ones to travel after death. So love is a far more motivating and connective force than hate or anger or rage. And so we tell a lot of stories about the ghoulies and the ghosties and the, and the baddies who come out of the woodworks. And, uh, but the truth of the matter is, there are far more good ghosts and far more good ghost stories than there are bad. They're just not as entertaining for people. They don't, uh, we, we don't gather around the campfire to, to hear the feel-good ghost stories. But um, so many wonderful examples. There was one guy who told me that when his uh, grandfather passed away, uh, he was visited in his dream. His grandfather came to him and was saying, well, you know, I've passed and it's time for me to go. But look under the, the doorstep on the back porch. And he had actually put a safe box, a, a little um, yeah. money box under the back stair of the porch. And he even said, the, the guy was like, my grandfather didn't even live at that house anymore. And he had to go back and ask the owner of the house if he could go under the step of, of the house and pry it up because, because he had a dream. You know, and that mm -hmm. was the conversation he had to have with this new owner. And luckily, the new <laughs> owner was fascinated by the idea and let him pull up this step. And there was a little box of Stop. all kinds. It was kind of like a, a time capsule-like box, but it had money in it, and it had all kinds of Whoa, interesting wait. stuff in it. Well, wouldn't that be the owner's box now? The owner was perfectly willing because... Because, it, because how would yeah, you know? Exactly. And, and the story was, yeah. you know... Uh, that, that's just I, a I, good person. Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, because that's fair. I, I think know, he had legal... Um, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but... And know. then my, uh, my <laughs> ex actually woke up in the middle of the night um, when her grandmother died. And she woke up just knowing. She was like, oh, you know, my grandmother passed. Uh, and then the phone rang. And sure enough, it was her being informed that... Her grandmother had passed. Mm -hmm. So into the car she went. She drove uh, home uh, all night and got there just at dawn. And it was dawn, and there was a guy mowing the lawn. And it was the caretaker of the, the home uh, mowing the lawn. And they came up, and they're like, what are you doing? And he, he turns off the, the tractor, and they're like, what are you doing? It's, it's you know, pre-dawn. It's dawn. And he's like, oh. Marie came to me in a dream last night and told me I better, you know, do the lawn because there's going to be visitors today. Um, wow. Yeah. That is Goodness I just great. love those stories. And there's countless yeah. of them. I oh, mean, so yeah. many variations of it. So many wonderful stories about people who have this catharsis, this moment with a past relative. And, and you know, I, it's so second nature that even people who tell the story do not consider it necessarily a ghost story because they they think that it is a dream yeah. they think that they're you know they're 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 realizing the the high tension of the time or the moments and but 
I've heard stories where people, you know, out of the blue are visited by people that they had no idea were sick or, you know, or somebody died in an accident. So it was absolutely no way to know yeah. to inform your dreams. Mm-hmm. But then they had the dream and sure enough, the person passed. It's such a, uh, a, a common theme that people would reach out at the moment of their death to the people that, that matter and mean something or to the avenues that are easiest to travel. And that is my, you know, my general belief is that the dream world is an in-between layer. So, you know, you, you want to call the beyond, the veil, the, you know, where you go after you die. And between the waking, waking world and the dream world, you know, the next place is probably death. So it's both connected on that plane. We talked mm-hmm. about astral projection before. Yeah. So I, I believe that the astral planes, the dreamlands, are somewhere <laughs> in that uh, category. You know who, uh, who proves that is Nas. He said, sleep is the cousin of death. And mm-hmm. I would never forget that because I'm like, wow. I mean, that maybe, maybe sleep is just God's way of saying, like, this is kind of how it's like. Well, Edgar Allan Poe, <laughs> uh, Edgar Allan Poe famously said, uh, sleep, those little slices of death. How yeah. I hate them. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Oh, man. That'd be, a, that'd be a dope collab, Nas and, and, and Edgar Allan Poe. That'd be a dope oh, collab. You should do with the Raven, absolutely. Absolutely. Nas, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, that's, that's good. <laughs> but Maybe he should. I do find it interesting, though, um, when people say that they're like, I knew my grandmother died or things like that, because those are little moments of claircognizance, which is, like I said before, um, a lot of times when you have these prophetic dreams of sorts, I'm just going to call it that. But the... That, that is what is called and considered a clear sense, a clear cognizance, a sense of knowing something even though there hasn't been anything that would cause you to know that sort of situation. And so it, it's always interesting how that proves that everybody kind of has those little bits of clear abilities, whether it be the clear cognizance, the clear sense, uh, any kind of clear sense. But it takes certain moments to really unlock it. Oh, absolutely. And what I find fascinating, too, is in a lot of cases, uh, in, in interviews, people will tell you they don't have any ghost stories or they don't even believe in ghosts. Or, you know, and it's fascinating because they'll, they'll, they'll pull this, this thing. Oh, well, you know, this one time this happened. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's these little moments that are casual. They're, it's casual mm-hmm. clairvoyance. Ca- casual, you know. Uh, you know, just casual clairvoyance. Yeah, well, and that's just <laughs> Well, it. it's true. It's so casual that people dismiss it. They're quick to say, well, that's not a ghostly yeah. experience. That's not a psychic experience. That's not, that's just, they kind of, I guess, deem it as a coincidence mm-hmm. or. My brother would do that. Yeah, well, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's easy to dismiss. And, you know, uh, my favorite ghost stories, hands down, come from skeptics, people who Ooh. just do not believe. So many times have I, have I gone through my questioning of people, and I have no interest in changing anyone's mind. I don't want to make a believer out of non-believer. It doesn't matter to me. But I will be like, so nothing, nothing strange at all? And then they'll be like, oh, well, there was this one time. <laughs> and then they will break out one of the most uh, devastatingly bizarre ghost stories. And they're like, but, you know. And, and Chris like, always with the curveball. I swear, so you're just like, my favorite ghost stories comes from non-believers. And I'm like, but, but it's, it's true. true. <laughs> yeah. You know who, who tell really good ghost stories? <laughs> Cops. 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 Because cops generally have to be 
detail-oriented. They wow. have to only deal with evidence. They are not supposed to have a lot of speculation. So if something occurs and they note it, when it's out of that ordinary, they have all this other information. They're, they're, they've, they've been looking. They've been, so they, they have very detailed stories. And when they come across something really weird, and oftentimes they're not necessarily you know, believers or they, don't, you know, they, they fall into the skeptic line because they're so detail-oriented. Yeah. But man, when they tell you a ghost story, you're like, what? <laughs> what <Wow>. just happened? <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. There you go. There you go. Okay, that was just question one, y'all. Yeah, we got a couple more to go. Next time you get pulled over, say like, "Hold on, before you give me a ticket, <laughs> do you have a ghost story?" Do you story? have a good ghost story? Oh, also, um, uh, medical personnel. Oh yeah, people who work because the they're around it all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, people people who work in the night shifts a lot at mm-hmm. hospitals. Morticians too. Great. Yeah, morticians are fascinating because they are very. And I've only spoken to a handful, so I, I can't say I know all morticians. But uh, of the few morticians that I have spoken to who have ghost stories, they are so nonchalant about it. They are so, so yeah, body just sat up and looked at me. And it's probably like, gas. You, <laughs> you, know, <it's laughs> you know, sometimes rigor mortis will make you sit up and turn oh. and look. And I'm like, that's rigor mortis? And he's like, yep. <laughs> like, Bruh. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, my wife's so funny. Lord. <laughs> All righty. Here we go. Uh, KK, K-A-Y-Y, K-A-Y-Y, acts. Um, oh, oh, okay. I didn't understand what she meant, but now I do. Um, anything, so she says anything about St. Vincent's, but I think what she means is anything ghosty about St. Vincent's. Yes, Um Yes. So no, I get what you're saying. I actually don't know many like accounts of things that have occurred at St. Vincent's. I am not from Savannah originally. I did not grow up here, so I obviously did not go to school um, for high school early years, you know. But where a lot of St. Vincent's campus is is right next to Colonial Park Cemetery. Yeah, it was probably butt right up against it. If yeah, not, if not a little. Overlapping. Well, their library is basically on the gates of Colonial Park Cemetery. I've actually heard of figures, because if you go by St. Vincent's at night, um, and, and worth noting that St. Vincent's is actually attached to St. John the Baptist's uh, the cathedral, cathedral yeah. uh, which is a seat of the diocese for the Catholic Church, and, and as such is where discussions of like exorcisms and, and any demonology kinds of things would occur in that building. But I've heard that, uh, so on the Lincoln Street side, there's a, like a, a, a gated area. And if you look down there, people have seen figures. And mostly I wanna say the figure that I've heard is, uh, is like a nun moving around in there. Ooh. And that used to be St. Vincent's Ooh. convent. And so people would see this shadowy, like, figure, cloaky-like figure, um, which they attributed to being a nun, but that doesn't necessarily mean it is a nun, but I have heard accounts of people seeing a figure moving about in the... uh, in the halls. That, well, in the main This one's going on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> that just unlocked this memory that I completely forgot about. Your mom went to St. Vincent's. Yeah. And I remember oh, yeah. when we were 
dating. I think I remember. She she told me about how there was uh, this nun like figure at St. Vincent's that freaked oh, her out. What? Yes. Wait, no. This isn't the one that I. She she she's told a lot of ghost stories, but I've not heard this one. I could have sworn she told me about how she would see this nun like figure walking around the halls. Yeah. And things like that. She also used to live on Liberty Street too. So right. she would, so there you go. yeah. So she would look out and like it sounded, or from what I remember, I'm gonna shoot her a text real quick. Let's yeah. see if we can get a. <laughs> Let's see if we can get a live reaction. Yeah, a live reaction from Hillary Timmons. Um, but yeah, I remember she was like she hated living in Savannah for that reason because it freaked her out. Because she was like, I looked out my window, I'm looking in the cemetery, and so she would see figures like that all the time. Oh sure, that makes sense. Gracious. So. All right. Well, there you have it. I completely it. forgot about that until you brought up the nun. I was like, wait. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, it also makes sense, you know, uh, because the, the convent nuns, nun teachers, you know, mm-hmm. all, all of those things kind of con- contrive into this idea that uh, if you were susceptible or if you were just a, a, enough of a, um, an imaginative person you would start talking to your friends and your friends would start talking to your friends mm-hmm. and then you would manifest this, this figure. Because as near as I can tell, there's never been a full uh, descriptor of this entity. It's been like shadowy and identified as a nun, but there's never been like, we know who this is, we know yeah. when this is. And the, the, that site being a convent for a long time before school um, really does raise a lot of questions as to who it could be well and there have been you know um reports of hauntings in churches and Mm -hmm. cathedrals and things like that a lot of people don't believe that holy places can be haunted uh that churches can't be haunted like you're 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 safe from ghosts in a church um but you remember we've talked about wherever people gather there's a very specific type of energy where people go regularly where people sought comfort things mm-hmm. like that that is an ideal place for a spirit to sort of inhabit but because we live our lives under the uh under the concept of a holy place being restrictive many ghosts won't go into a holy place for because they were raised knowing to be reverent of a holy place yeah. and if they are a spirit being worried that the holiness will somehow damage them or, or at the very least keep them away. You know, because um, cemeteries are hallowed ground and conceptually the idea of a spirit in a holy place raises the question of do they belong? Should they be expelled? You know, what is the nature of it? And all of that comes from how we were raised, mm-hmm. you know, what we were taught in our lives. Because that is kind of how we controlled ghosts for centuries was by telling the living these rules. We tell the living the rules so that when they die, they adhere to those rules. That's why a lot of rites of exorcism work is because through life we learned that these are the authorities and we have to listen to them and we have to pay attention to them. And when they command us in the name of God to do something, we have learned in our life that that is the appropriate thing to do. However... And I, I've, I've seen pieces of this, uh, and it, it's all a puzzle, but sometimes faiths conflict. And if you were raised with a different faith system and someone comes at you with an opposing faith system, 
it's possible that there will be a miscommunication, that it will not be as effective. Um, but I do believe that the ultimate language past the spoken word is faith, is belief. And so when you're dealing with something that is imposing or coming into your existence, it is your faith against their faith. Mm -hmm. Their faith that they belong and your faith that they need to leave. That's the conflict. And that becomes the regimen of exorcism, the regimen of, of, of any ritual is, is your faith stronger than the faith of the opposing entity, energy, et cetera? There's also this issue, too, with churches of all sorts, um, any place of religious um, beliefs, where people come with such strong emotions, and it's like a dumping ground of so many different emotions, sorrow, uh, because funerals happen there, you know, anxiety, uh, all sorts of things like that. And sometimes that attracts spirits because they see all of that energy being left behind and they're like, I can feed on that. Absolutely. You You've know, weddings. So joyous occasions. Absolutely. Sorrowful occasions. Yeah. So. All righty. Next question. Anonymous uh, asks, Madison, why don't you... Uh, that's not asked right. Hold on. Madison, why don't, why don't you talking about seeing spirits? <laughs> why don't you like talking about seeing spirits? Oh, I think that was supposed oh, to say, Ma why, uh, why don't you talk about spirits? Okay, Madison, why don't you talk about seeing spirits? You have mentioned it like once. <laughs> so... Um, we've mentioned it more than once. I, I probably have mentioned it more than once. Um, it, it really comes from an interesting place of my entire life. Like my family, all of my family knows that I can see spirits. Like there's no one in my family that hasn't realized that. But I was a child who was bullied a lot. And the, being able to see spirits is a weird thing to most people. So I kind of use that as a defense mechanism as like, I'm going to keep this to myself. I'm going to see my ghosts and my parents don't care. Um, my grandparents don't care. So they can know about these sort of things. But it's honestly a pretty recent thing that I've started sharing with people because even friendships I've had, I've told people like, hey, I can see ghosts. And they're like, you're insane. Like, you're like mentally insane. And I'm like, no, it's like just a, something that's always been a part of my life. So I am sometimes weary with the internet um, because... I mean, obviously, y'all listening to this podcast, you're very wonderful people, and most of you are very, very nice to us, but there are some really mean people on the internet. Very mean. Um, and so sometimes I am a little bit weary of sharing my experiences with seeing spirits because of the reaction it sometimes causes. But I feel like that's the case of a lot of people who have psychic abilities because and a lot of it comes from these fake psychics that had TV shows. And in the 50s, they would do tours and stuff and be like, show up to my, even nowadays, they do tours where they're like, come to my show and I'll tell you about your dead grandma, you know? And that really uh, de-justified uh, the ability to say that you can see spirits because people are like, oh, you're just looking for attention or you're, you have schizophrenia or you, you know, have these things, even though it's not the case. 
it, society has set the standard, like everybody who says that they're a psychic is a quack, pretty much. That's where it comes from. Wow, this, is, yeah. this has gotten very deep. Yeah. And when you really think about it, history has never been kind to anyone who says they have any ability beyond the norm, period. The witch hunts, mm -hmm. vast amounts of murder, the Inquisition, anything regarded as not normal, quote-unquote normal, was punished. And we grew up thinking that only in confidence could you speak about these things. Only in, in, after you have uh, asserted and, and, and grown to trust a person could you share it for fear of rejection, for fear of criticism. And yeah, there's no end to the amount of resistance a person will put up with. You know, uh, you tell them something that does not fit within their scheme of the world, they believe you are threatening their very world. People will defend their reality to the absolute end. And that's fair in many regards. Uh, have you guys been to the Marshall House? Asked by PJA2018. Actually, yes. One of the first ghost experiences that I ever had was at the Marshall House, uh, like at least in Savannah. So I was staying there with my dad when I was about 10 years old because we lived in Tampa, Florida, and the majority of my family lives over in Charlotte, North Carolina. So Savannah was the perfect like middle ground um, to break up the trip. So we would always stop in Savannah, and we loved it here. Um, I loved taking the ghost tours and stuff. So uh, we were staying at the Marshall House one evening, and I remember it being... I believe it's going to sound so like traditional horror movie. It was around 3 a.m. where I was woken up because it felt like somebody pulled my arm out and it was like checking me. And then I felt someone tucking me into my bed. And then immediately the TV shoots on out of nowhere and it just is static at me. And then I just see this woman walk off to the bathroom. And so I freaked out because at that point, I had never had a ghost experience outside of my own home. And so I was like, whoa, 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 hold on. They can interact with me outside of my house. Like this is changing my perspective. But I literally panicked, jumped into bed with my dad. And I was like, I'm like, there's a ghost in our room. He's like, you're fine. He's like, it's a haunted hotel, but like, it's okay. You know, <laughs> you're, you're fine. He's like, why are you in my bed? Like, go back to your own bed. And and I told him what happened the next day. And he goes, oh, well, I guess, you know, the, it really is a haunted hotel. He's like, I thought they just were saying that, you know. But, yeah. Because that happens a lot where places will say, like, we are a haunted hotel. But, you know, there's no. Oh, no, no, no. The Marshall House is, yeah. is quite. I, just this weekend, I was actually invited to the Marshall House to, to tell ghost stories. Um, and the Marshall House, I, I, I have a very significant ghost story there because um, I used to work uh, attached to to the Marshall House. If you're looking at the Marshall House, you'll see like a marquee, a lit up marquee. I think it's a tap house now, but that was the City Lights Theater. And uh, Really? We, yes, so the City Lights Theater was <sighs> right there, and we did the renovations on that building, you know, uh, put up 
the the entire structure of of that theater uh, from from the ground up. Uh, and early in our uh, residence there, we would he- have st- stories of people going down. So there was a back staircase that went to the backstage. Like our dressing rooms were upstairs. You go downstairs to get onto the stage. People going down the stairs, as they're going down the stairs, they would hear this scream, this man screaming. And uh, at least twice, I remember someone coming, like, tripping down the stairs. I was like, what is it? And they, they would express that they heard this scream. And they suggest that it was so loud that sometimes they, they felt it, like, physically vibrating their body as they're coming down the stairs. And we're like, what do you think it was? And, and of course... The Marshall House at the time was not anything. There was, like, on the ground level, a series of shops, but the upper two levels of the Marshall House were not a hotel. It was abandoned. It was empty. It was just trash. Um, So in the late 90s, they started doing this renovation project. And as they're doing the renovation project, we would oftentimes be sitting on the marquee because that was kind of like a cool place to hang out. You're looking over, you know, uh, Broughton Street and, and just hanging out with your friends. Um, we hear screams from inside the Marshall House and grown men running out of the Marshall House. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and then we thought, because they were, this was during the renovation stage, they were renovating the hotel, and we thought, oh, no, they've hit a gas line, they've done something, you know, there's something dangerous going on. What we learned was they had uncovered a copious amount of bones, mm-hmm. human I bones. And so... They were all, like, floored. They couldn't figure it out. They were like, this is, this is really disturbing uh, because they figured that there were multiple dead bodies in the building, in, the, you know, uh, in all these things. Well, when the, um, when the investigation went through, what they learned was these were not whole skeletons. These were limbs. There were all these limbs. And... It raised the question why, and it turns out that during the Civil War, the Marshall House was co-opted as a hospital, and they actually performed amputations on soldiers who were wounded. And during that period of time, they didn't think to move the body parts. They apparently put them in a slat that, that actually became the cellar wall. Wow. <laughs> and so they filled a wall with limbs. I can only imagine what the smell was like. I know. But apparently that was, you know, how they disposed of these limbs. And they were caring for these people. And what you have to remember, in, in the 1860s, no anesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, people were being, uh, you know, they were sawing through sinew and bone, removing people's limbs, oftentimes giving them just a strap or bite the bullet kind of thing. Yep. And all of a sudden, the man screaming came to mind. Can you imagine the screams that must have come out of the Marshall House during this period of time? And we've had several experiences where people are going down the stairs and and, and having this experience, this intense emotional experience. Uh, And and it became the answer to the question, who is the screaming man? It was very likely someone having an amputation performed on them without any anesthetic. I love that story. All of my ghost tours about the the bones found in the Marshall House. I didn't realize you were there. When oh, yeah, that uh, we were there. We we uh, this and is we were so exciting. We were a theater company, of course, uh, right yeah. next door. And I, what I remember of that period, it was fascinating because uh, Broughton Street kind of was like the Wild West. 
you know, in the 90s. It was like very piecemeal. Not a lot of businesses were down there. Uh, if you come to Savannah now, it's like a mall. You, yeah. know, you go up and down, it's full of, you know, there's literally a gap on yeah. Broughton Street. But at the time, uh, you know, it was, it was just up and coming back into life, back to life. And uh, yeah, we were one of, the, uh, one of the businesses that just sat and watched it all happen. There's also been reports of people seeing Union soldiers mm-hmm. uh, in the Marshall House without limbs, some of them actually holding their own limbs. I've heard that one, yeah, yeah. holding their own limbs. That's really creepy. And there was a story of a, of a jazz musician mm-hmm. that took his own life in, in the Marshall House. And many people report children like, oh, yeah. running up and down the halls, uh, like grabbing the doors and so there's a lot of complaints of children being out of control and mind you it is a, host- uh, a hotel so it might just be children who snuck out of the rooms <laughs> and are running up and down but it's a common ghost story that children are running around and i want to say that most hotels will have the, the children ghosts um and maybe it's because children on their way to vacation spots end up staying at hotels and their energy kind of (laughs) resonates and and, and becomes a residual energy in the building. Yeah. The, um, the experience I had though is actually a pretty common experience for people at the Marshall house. I found out once I moved here and learned more about the Marshall house, but yeah, there's a spirit of a nurse that often checking the vitals, which makes sense why she'd pull my arm out and tuck me back in because it's like, Oh, got to put you back to bed. Now the TV thing really freaked me out though, because that was, you know, this is weird. I worked at the mansion on Forsyth park and there were at least three, three instances while I was working and I worked nights, uh, three instances where guests were awoken by their TV turning on. And, um, and it being on a channel that didn't make sense, you know, oh. because um, at the time, this was before like big L- um, LCD TVs and things like that. So it would, it would come to a, a static channel. So it would turn on to a static channel. And if you are familiar with early EVP um, recording and EVP practices, oftentimes they would turn the TV on to a mm-hmm. static channel to allow for the sound and, and even the imagery to help collect energy. You know, they, they believe that because a TV was a receiver, you know, it's receiving electric ch- uh, uh, signal, it was something that spirits could be drawn to. And if you did it on a static channel, you would have a better chance of capturing the spirit, seeing the spirit or, or, or hearing the spirit because it is uh, not being drowned out by actors and people moving around on the screen. So, um, so old school technique was to turn your TV on to a static channel. And sometimes they'd say, turn it on for a little bit and then turn it off because you've drawn a, an entity in. Um, but uh, we don't really have static yeah. TVs anymore. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next one. We got two left. All right. Um, How about the smell in reference to telling if you are interacting with the demonic entity demons? My favorite subject. That wasn't part of the question. I just love demons. Um, And then I don't love demons. Anyway, um, that comes from TikTok ATL. The old sulfur brimstone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That question. Yeah. So, I mean... In reference to trying to decipher, uh, I believe that question came from our Ouija board um, discussion. 
if you're trying to decipher if you're talking to a demonic entity through a Ouija board, smell's not going to do anything for you because they're not on your same plane. It's just talking to you through a vessel. Um, if you go into a room that has a demonic entity and it's sometimes that can be a telltale sign it's traditionally known that demons emit the smell of sulfur rotting flesh decaying corpses smell sort of thing rotting eggs yeah rotten eggs but it's not always the case um and not every demon is the same i think a lot of people put demons as like this catch-all sort of entity but demons have different motives they have different uh presentation of how they look how they behave how they smell some demons are quite beautiful and are meant to attract you in that way because they don't want to scare you off they want something from you so if they make the room smell like rotten eggs they know you're not going to want to be in there for very long but some demons that's just the nature of them so i mean it can be an indicator but actually in the case of the marshall house there is the smell of rotting flesh that people can smell but that's a residual haunting and it gives people the wrong idea they're like there's a demon in that room and it's like no it's just an impression left behind it's just limbs and walls yes quite literally it's a stain yeah it's a stain on the building and so you know it's an impression that's left behind by all of the copious amounts of medical procedures that have gone on so it should definitely should be something that would send alarms off in your head if you know if you do smell it and you know there is um some kind of history to the place that you're in but don't immediately just assume that it's a demon. And it's probably worth mentioning that if you're following like folklore and beliefs like that, that the smell actually only happens at appearance and departure. Uh, it does not linger, it'll leave. But the concept being they're coming from hell, which is a land of sulfur and brimstone. So when they come through, you're getting a whiff of the door opening and closing. And when they leave, you're getting a whiff of the door opening and closing. Um, and so, I, and I want to say it's it, that concept has been used in stories and things like that for, for ages. I want to even say that uh, Nightcrawler, the X-Men, when he teleports, it, it apparently turns into a, a poof of smoke, and that smoke smells like sulfur oh. or, or, or something like that. But the idea being, from just old tradition, when the, when the devil appears, he shows up in a big flash of smoke, and that smoke is actually hellfire and hell, you know, brimstone, sulfur, and it creates this, this stench but it dissipates relatively quickly. Yankee Candle, if you're listening, hell smell. <laughs> hell smell. Hell smell. <laughs> Hashtag hell smell. <laughs> Hashtag hell smell. <laughs> All right. Last question. This comes from Ambient Burn 31. Is Factors Walk as haunted as they say it is? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. It depends on who they, who, who, who they is. Who yeah. They are. Who, I, who, I guess who is just they? like, you know. The no, no. Factors, like, walk, Factors Walk's haunted. Factors Walk is woefully haunted. Lots of suffering on Factors Walk. Lots of uh, energy from centuries of commerce on Factors Walk. Lots of people taken advantage of. Lots of people harmed. And of course, the slave trade yeah. pulling people and corralling them and keeping them in you know pens. 
on Factors Walk. Mm-hmm. So real quick, will you let everyone know what Factors Walk is? Because we might have some people from like Topeka, Kansas that don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, one of Savannah's premier destinations premier. is uh, River Street. So River Street <laughs> is a row of businesses, and, and those buildings have been there since the 1700s, and it is where ships would get their cargo off, and there are these businesses. Now, between River Street and Bay Street is this bluff. It's the Diagon Alley. Right, basically. It's the Diagon Alley versus River Street, which is the other one. So you get your Hogsmeade? Yes. Hogsmeade is way nicer than River Street. (laughs) Factors Walk is uh, the, the alley between the bluff of Bay Street that leads to Bay Street and River Street. So it's behind all of the business buildings. And it was also the entrance to a lot of what we called the uh, merchant tunnels. There are tunnels that went straight into the bluff off of River Street. So they didn't have to hoist or lift everything onto Bay Street to get it to businesses. They would actually move these things through tunnels to the businesses of Bay Street. Uh, and I want to say that went as far as Broughton Street. So there was a network of tunnels where commerce, you know, goods would come off ships. And instead of them having to hoist it or, or, or move them up uh, staircases, they just go straight to the businesses under the ground. Mm. Now, um, that was also what they did with the slaves. When the slaves came off the boats, they would go into these tunnels and oftentimes would be held in, a, in sort of pins under the tunnel. I want to say... It was Johnson Square was one of the auction sites. Yeah. Um, and the auction site w- would be right there on River Street as well. Yeah. And there was one in City Market also. Yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah. Um, but with Factors Walk, you definitely do hear reports of people experiencing, you know, the sounds of chains clacking, absolutely. you know, the sounds of the business. I mean, it's sometimes a little drowned out. And I feel like that's why people don't, experience as many hauntings there is because if you go down to river street even though savannah is a city that sleeps don't get us wrong we like our sleep but on a weekend if you go down there you're not going to experience anything because there's too much going on you know um you're going to get distracted by the drunk girl walking down the historic steps and you're not going to be paying attention to all your other senses that you mean the drunk drunk girl tumbling down the I was going to say, yes. worth mentioning. Becoming the next Some ghost. Some of the most yeah. treacherous steps anywhere <laughs> mm-hmm. are the steps that lead down to River Street. So, yeah, you would tumble down these horribly designed and terribly difficult steps to, you know, uh, Factors Walk where you would lie dead. You know, because yeah. it was. These are, these, I, no joke, these are scary, scary steps. I actually had Stone a great uncle who fell down the stairs in the 50s and cracked his skull open, and he never Yikes. recovered. Oof. He oh. spent the rest of his life in a hospital because those steps mean business. They really do. They really do. So be careful. And, of course, we have all these bars on River Street, and then we're asking people to climb these yeah. steps. To, yeah. You know, well, it's, it's hard to navigate sober. <laughs> yes, it is. I used to street perform down on River Street, and so I have – successfully gone up and down those steps in a period accurate dress. I don't know how anybody would have done that um, in heels or anything Mm. like that, but come to, come to Savannah where even our steps are haunted. Oh yeah. Yeah, (laughs) they are. They They will haunt you just by scaring you and leaving an impression, (laughs) you know, deep in your heart of the doom (laughs) impending. Cause there, and there are some, 
staircase is worse than others. I think there's a very treacherous set of stairs at the very end uh, on the very east end. Yep. A very treacherous set uh, right near the Hilton. Like, yep. Uh, yes, yeah, right on the other side of the Hilton. So, yeah, uh, Hyatt, right on the other side of the Hyatt. Very scary steps. You can take an elevator down to it, though, if you, yeah, you yeah. want to be lame. From the city, cap. city yeah. market. City, yeah. Oh, I mean, I said my city hall. City hall. Yeah. If you want to be lame, you can take the elevator. But if you want to be like us, a true Savannah, and take take your risk. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you don't you have to do that. Take the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> I take the elevator. <laughs> Understood. Yeah, um, but it, it is worth noting, though, that you know, Factors Walk does get forgotten a lot. Um, Absolutely. But and it was where I I think we mentioned it. Um, there was a time uh, in the 80s, there was a couple of um, root working shop uh, shops there, uh, Gullah Geechee traditional magic shops, for lack of a, a better term. It was always a place where you, would, you could find uh, psychic practitioners, people who would, you know, read the cards or, you know, help you with your, your psychic needs. So that has always been a draw, too, is that little in-between area. It was between... Two very legitimate worlds. There's this gray area. <laughs> yes, the diagonally of Savannah. The diagonally of Savannah. All right. Well, that was, that was it. That's, those are all the questions. Awesome. Well, that was fun. That we got we got dark. We got jokey. Mm-hmm. We we talked about limbs and walls. You sounds, know? sounds like you know your average episode. Absolutely. Um, but. If you guys, like I said earlier in the episode, if you want to have uh, us respond to any of your questions, definitely use that Q&A button. Because sometimes when I go digging for these questions, they can get a little lost in the tons of uh, comments on our videos and whatnot on TikTok. If it's in the Q&A section, it will definitely get answered. So uh, use that. But I believe that's about all we have for you guys. We have a lot of really cool stuff coming up uh, with our investigation at the Graveface Museum, our interview with Emma from Real Life Ghost Stories over in the UK. JT and I are going to West Virginia, so we have a lot of really fun stuff coming up. So if you want to see any kind of behind-the-scenes content of that and some exclusive episodes, definitely check out our Patreon. We have a bunch of really cool stuff planned for just that. So you can find us at patreon.com slash Savannah underground. Also, as always follow us on TikTok at the Savannah underground and on Instagram at Savannah underground. And I believe that's all I have for y'all. So thank you guys so much again for listening. We will see you in the next one. Stay spooky y'all.